Hello and welcome back to Management Cast, where some of the brightest minds in the business world explain the commercial concepts shaping industry today. We're welcoming back Alison Meister for her fourth episode on Management Cast. Alison is a professor of leadership and organizational behavior at IMD. Hello, Alison. It's great to have you here. Hello. Great to be back. Alison, over three episodes, we've spoken about some of the big topics in mental well-being and the workplace today. We've discussed the stress mindset, the recovery paradox, how to design your workplace for mental well-being, all areas of your research. What are you looking at next? Can you tell us a bit about your current research tracks? Absolutely. So I'm partnering with Nina Dahl at IMD, so a research fellow here, and we've launched kind of a research stream with Enterprise for Society and with different colleagues around the world. And we're looking at streams of research on three big projects facing mental health, and in particular, in the organization. I'm also collaborating with Milan Scheidegger's lab at the University of Zurich. And with that study, we're looking at different psychedelic medicines and how they're influencing mental health and mental health in the workplace. Perhaps we should start at the beginning and get back to the psychedelics in a bit. Alison, why don't you expand a bit more on that first bit of research you mentioned? Okay, well, the first study that we're presenting actually at the Academy of Management this year is a study of overwhelm. And so if you think of the word overwhelm, people are experiencing a lot of it. And overwhelm is a state where you are in high levels of, it's not just high levels of stress, it's too much stress. It's that state between stress and burnout that is really important to understand and harness so we can prevent the negative effects of stress, those downstream effects. And so we looked at 100 different working individuals and we captured their narratives of when they were overwhelmed, what overwhelmed felt like, what happened when they were overwhelmed in terms of their behaviors, their thoughts, their physiology, and the consequences of overwhelm and the things that ignite it. And so we've created this understanding and theory of overwhelm that we're really excited about. Okay, so overwhelm, somewhere between stress and burnout, what are the preliminary results showing? First of all, where does overwhelm come from? So what what is it? But we're finding what it is, it's when your workloads and the demands from life. So if you think of cognitive demands on your brain, if you think sensory demands, when noise and stimulation and informational demands, emotional demands, when all of those hit high levels, we're likely to kind of transition to this state of threat or state a state of overwhelm. And it can either be creeping, like it starts to build over time, or it can hit you all at once. And so this is, experience is quite <laughs> overwhelming, <laughs> no pun intended. But one really interesting finding is that what's really heightening for it for people is this feeling that the word should, I should be able to do this, I should be able to handle it, or I'm a leader, I should be able to handle everything, I have to always be positive, or, you know, it is my role, I am the breadwinner, I have no choice. And so these kind of expectations and norms that society or we put on ourselves is leaving people feeling that they're heightening our experience of overwhelm because we feel like we have no control or no choice. So that's influencing the experience. I think what happens is when you're overwhelmed, you have this lack of this felt lack of control over your life or your workload or your circumstances. And so when we feel that kind of uncertainty, lack of control, and we feel we should be able to do something, it's more likely to heighten this kind of threat state that we enter into. 
And when people go into it, they actually, interestingly, they often try to first put on this brave face and suppress any emotions and look like that strong leader who has it all together. But they're really dealing with this really overactive nervous system. And it's, it's creating this vicious cycle because we're not really admitting it to ourselves. So we don't actually engage in positive coping mechanisms. And actually what we're finding is it's quite scary what's happening. People were saying things in the study, like it, it invokes this strong desire to escape. So it's igniting suicidal thoughts in people. It's contributing vicious cycle and people lock themselves in the bathroom and literally have a meltdown. It can have a really big impact. And so it's good to catch these kind of things early. And you mentioned the kind of social construct of should the should that comes with being the breadwinner, the should that comes with being the boss. Is this something, this kind of pressure, this should pressure, is that something you're seeing across various strata of society, across people from different countries at different levels of their career? Absolutely. So this the sample, it was in the in English-speaking world, the sample, so different English-speaking countries of 100 looked at, had several different levels from early new graduates who are just starting their job through to people with 20 years of work experience, several work experience. And we're finding that everybody has their own should. So you will have your own shoulds. I have my own shoulds and expectations for how I should be able to act and how what I should be able to publish and what I should be able to achieve. And everybody has that. And that it's fascinating because that should can do a lot of harm if we don't challenge our assumptions and sometimes be vulnerable to say, actually, I can't do this all or I need a bit of a break or there's a lot. And so it requires getting over that, requires doing some soul searching about what you're telling yourself, some of the scripts you have, challenging them and giving yourself some new scripts and sometimes negotiating with others and having that conversation of maybe I could do this in the past, but right now it's not really possible. So you've spoken a little bit about your research into psychedelics and well-being in the workplace. Now, I think there's going to be a lot of listeners who haven't taken any psychedelics at work or didn't perhaps think that was going to be a part of working culture and well-being. Can you tell me a bit about that research? How do you get into that? Yeah, well, first of all, it's not. I don't recommend going and taking psychedelics as in the workplace <laughs> at all. First of all, there's a big misunderstanding. I think there's a lot of stigma about even the word psychedelics because we think drug and we all grew up being told drugs were bad, right? So psychedelics are a bit different. That they're not a bit. They are a lot different from some of the other really harmful drugs that we see out there that are habit forming and addictive that destroy lives. Psychedelics are a certain class drug that actually work on your brain and they cause really significant changes in perception, thought, and mood. And what they do is they alter your, the activity of your serotonin re receptors, which are neurotransmitters in your brain. And that regulates mood, cognition, perception, and consciousness. And so psychedelics have been around for centuries. They're used in societies and ancient cultures, but they were made prohibited class one substances in the United States in the 70s. And so then we saw all the really promising research that was happening then just stop abruptly. And so what's happening is we're, it's now what's called the psychedelic renaissance, where because of all the mental health challenges around the world, Actually, they've been doing a lot of work at different medical schools like John Hopkins. We see Harvard. We see associations around the world, Imperial College in the United States. We see University of Zurich here in, in Switzerland, among many others, making huge progress using psychedelics to work on people for mental health issues. 
So I think that has really sparked this renaissance where we're saying, whoa, what can these specific type of medicines or drugs, how can they help for mental health? And so we saw it, we see it a lot used in the mental illness space and the medicine space, but it's not really used clearly as much in the healthy individual space yet. And that's where we're seeing the movement, which is really interesting. So tell me about the how of this research. What are your hypotheses? How is the research being conducted? What kind of groups are you conducting this research with? Yes. So the research that I'm supporting is with a lab at the University of Zurich. And there was a spinoff from ETH in Zurich where they looked at making a certain psychedelic, which is DMT and harmine. So a mix of that, which is a version of the more traditional brew that you might have heard of called ayahuasca. And so this has been known to produce really deep level mystic and life-changing experiences for people to help people heal trauma, to help people heal different parts of their past, to become better, more conscious versions of themselves. And so with this study, what we're doing is we're looking at how this substance, how this compound under certain conditions might help leaders or help working individuals become more self-aware, more empathetic, more connected, And so we're looking at things like nature relatedness. Do you feel a deeper sense of connection to the world and others? Now, of course, we're not just handing it to leaders and saying, go take this and go to work. Absolutely not. This is done in a controlled trial way where we have a, we're we're working on ethics approval and it will be done in a very controlled, monitored setting where we're going to be looking at this over the course of time. And when it comes down to the timelines here, when might we expect some results from this trial And what kind of results are you hoping that this will show? I work in the space of leadership development and importantly, self-awareness and empathy are two core aspects of leadership. So knowing yourself, self-compassion, developing a better connection with yourself and change, being able to change and being able to work on habits are core aspects of leadership. So with this, we're going to launch, we're hoping to launch the study after we get some ethics approval, we'll hopefully launching it at the end of the year or in the second half of the year. The study itself runs over time and then change from something like this, there'll be integration period after in practice. So we'll be over the course of the next six to eight months, we'll be, we'll know how and if they work to help leaders move the needle on things that are important to them. Time will tell, but we have really Given the studies that we've seen with organizations and trials outside of the healthy working individual community, we've seen a lot of advances when it comes to things like anxiety, addiction, depression, PTSD. And so there's just so many insights happening around the world that I think I can't imagine people not experiencing some sense of positive change. But as any scientific study goes, the results are to be seen. We have hypotheses and we have things we're looking for. We'll see how it goes. Anyone familiar with the sitcom Silicon Valley will be familiar with satirical portrayals of people in Silicon Valley seeking out ayahuasca trips to achieve some of the results that you're talking about proving here. What's your sense currently about the openness in sort of the broader, more traditional business community about these kinds of treatments or this kind of research? You know, when you speak to people about this in your daily life at IMD, do they react strongly to the idea that psychedelics could be a part of achieving business success in the future or at least a part of gaining that, as you call it, better sense of self and that better self-awareness? 
Absolutely. I have received reactions from all over the spectrum, right? So as you can imagine, these substances are very stigmatized. So it has been, what? Are you crazy? How can you be working with drugs? I thought you were into leadership development. And then I've had people saying, where do I sign up? So I've seen it all. As with anything, I think there's going to be a big hype and then a correction. So right now there's a huge hype around psychedelics and people can tend to move too fast in that space. Then we see a flourishing of research. We see it all over the news. So I just hope that things don't move too fast and that they're, because these are really strong and very powerful substances and they need to be treated with respect and care. It's not that going and taking this as a magic pill and it's going to solve all your problems. It needs to be handled under appropriate supervision and medical care. So while many people, yes, find psychedelic experiences to be super transformative and positive, they can also be unpredictable. You don't know how someone is going to respond or what kind of difficult experience they might be dealing with. And especially at really high doses or in the wrong setting or in, where you're not feeling psychologically safe. So there has been a lot more receptivity to this because it's a little bit cutting edge in the mental health space. The industry is flourishing. We see public companies. We see whole new industries starting to grow up. But again, I think we just need to take this with care and not go running towards the next mushroom you can find. <laughs> yeah, at a risk of overhyping it, my next question was really just going to be about where this is going. Are we going to be seeing mushrooms by the coffee pot, acid by the water cooler, that kind of thing? Or is this, Alison, to maybe take it down a notch from the hyperbole, would we perhaps see in the future just more understanding workplaces? Is that where we're trying to get to? Workplaces which you know are centered more around a slightly more empathetic style of management. <laughs> well, I certainly hope there wouldn't be acid by the water cooler. No, absolutely. That would be quite dangerous and illegal. So I, I do think that you know, as, as anything, when it comes to leadership and leadership development, there are different tools in your toolkit. There is so much you can do, right? There's self-awareness, self-reflection, building your empathy. You can use therapy. You can use coaching. You can take programs. You can do self-exploration. So psychedelics are, are proving to be one tool in the toolkit of many to help people change the way they think about certain parts of themselves, to get to know their identities a little bit better, to work on the reactivity. It's one tool in the toolkit, and it's not for everybody. And I think we do hear a lot these days about microdosing. So what I've kind of have been speaking to around is more of the macrodosing, where you take large doses and work on a very psychological level. Microdosing is what kind of you're referring to. This acid by the water cooler would be taking really barely perceptible doses that you don't really notice that kind of work in the background. And while that is an interesting train of thought and study, we don't have any results yet. We don't have any kind of controlled, randomized trials that are looking at if and how that works. So a lot of people swear by that. You've seen actually a lot of leaders even get in trouble for having done that. And we'll see how it evolves. And I think there's going to be extremes on both sides. So I'm watching intently the industry and how it's shifting over time. And at the end of our last episode, I asked you about whether or not you were optimistic about the move towards more positive working environments. Now, we've discussed over the course of these episodes, everything from quiet quitting, all the way through to the recovery paradox and the stress mindset. You said repeatedly that these are ideas, the idea of well-being in the workplace is something that has grown. There's something that's being noticed more and more currently. You know, when you look at younger people coming into industry today, do you think that these things are going to become progressively more important 
or is there going to be some kind of backlash in the future? These things do tend to go in cycles. Absolutely. Because of the hype, I think there will definitely be backlash. And I think if you think about how society's reacting towards anything these days, there's a lot of polarization out there. So on any kind of politicized issue of which this could tend to be one, depending on how it evolves, you will see both sides of the spectrum, one going full force and one going full against, and we'll see a bit of clash between there. Now, we do see some governments making big shifts. Australia's just legalized certain substances for medicinal use and for psychedelic psychotherapy. So Australia just came out and said, we're, we're moving forth and we're seeing a bit of backlash because there's not the regulation, there's not the systems to keep up with that and how that's going to be rolled out. So I think we can move very fast and say, whoa, we don't actually know how to do this. And then we'll see some backlash. Time will tell. But it's interesting to watch this space and watch how it unfolds over time. Okay, Alison, that is super interesting. You give me a deep dive on overwhelm and your upcoming study on psychedelics in the workplace. I think that's a really interesting place for our last question, Alison. Studies that are in the works, research you're planning. Talk to me about those. What else is on the agenda? What's coming up in the next 12 months? So the other two studies we're doing at IMD with my research fellow, Nile, is in addition to overwhelm, we are looking at, for example, leader disclosure, because we know leadership is so important in protecting the mental health of their people and they're building their well-being and building their resilience. So we're looking at the role in particular of leader disclosure in creating psychologically safe workplaces. So if leaders disclose something about their mental health or some of their challenges with stress or potentially a burnout in the past, how does that influence their followers? How does that influence the culture of the team? So we're collecting data on this because we're hypothesizing things around, does it work the same for different genders? If men disclose and if women disclose, do their followers, how do they react? How does it influence their followers' behavior? Does it depend on how the disclosure is made? And does it depend on who it's made to? So we're looking at the role of disclosure and how you have better conversations, essentially, about stress, about mental health. And the third study we're looking at is really cool study around wearables. So that mind-body connection. And what I'm finding is that I will ask people, are you feeling stressed? Do you feel you're getting enough sleep or recovery? And people will say yes. They'll say, absolutely, I feel I, I'm managing my energy well. And then they'll find they're depleted at the end of the month and exhausted and not making good decisions. And so through wearables, we can actually look at nervous system activation and actually look at what works for different people. And we can actually help them build that mind-body connection so they know how their body's doing and they can optimize their energy and create strategies for themselves that actually work in terms of energy management over time. So I think some really interesting stuff will happen through the wearable space in the next few years through our research. Some really interesting stuff indeed, Alison, across all of your research. I want to thank you again for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. And just a reminder to our listeners, you can find out more about Alison's research by logging on to imd.org or ibuyimd.com. Alison Meister is a professor of leadership and organizational behavior at IMD. Her teaching focuses on mental health, identity and diversity and well-being. See you next time.